You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode 33, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by QB1 in my heart. He is Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Mark, brother, I think for the for the second week in a row, we have a Mitch Trubisky-focused historical reference, which was via request yet again. In a sense. And first off, Mike, okay. always great to be with you. I'm going to take us on a winded road here for historical reference, as we often do at the start of these shows. Yep. And I'm loving that more and more we're getting requests or ideas from the gentle listeners. That thrills me to no end, and today's no exception. Now, many of the gentle listeners have probably seen the news that Gardner Minshew has been approached with a sponsorship deal from a, well... <laughs> Let's just say it. It's an adult webcam website, okay? And he's mm-hmm. been approached to teach a fitness class wherein only his jock strap. Never heard of this. Never heard of this fitness class, by the way, never. if my wife never. is listening. <laughs> no, we have never gone to that. Let's just say that. Now, this sort of idea stems from the fact that apparently our new favorite quarterback stretches in the locker room pregame clad only in his onion holder. Now, that is amazing all around. <laughs> But it also prompted this tweet from a gentle listener, Mitchell Smamet. I hope I pronounced that right. I know I didn't. But the tweet was, at you and I, Michael, you're going to have to find something wacky in history to open this podcast with. So first off, please give our dear gentle listener a follow on Twitter at S-M-E-T-T-E-1-5 at Smet 15 Nice. And so I tried to come through here. And it sent me down, of course, a Caligula path because, of <laughs> course, right? Yeah. But I then veered wildly off that stretch. Michael. Have you heard the story of Caligula's seashells? The seashell. I think this is familiar, but hit me with it. I'm okay. really fascinated now. You got my attention. Here's the Toulon didn't read version. Caligula landed the Roman army and navy on the shores of Britain. They intended to invade, but he then called it off. And in doing so, he apparently ordered his soldiers to collect seashells. And they yep. would then collect them in their helmets as what he called spoils of war. He even erected <laughs> a tower to commemorate the victory. And of course, that fits with the Caligula we know, right? Crazy, absurd, perhaps really sick. And of yeah. course, a guy like him would give an order like that. But Michael, did you know there is an entire subset of Roman historians who are now pushing back on that idea. For example, Mary Beard, a professor of classics at Cambridge, put together a program on British TV making the case that the order Caligula actually gave was for the troops to pull down their makeshift huts. Quoting from it now, but the word for seashells, musculi, was also soldiers slant for the engineers' huts. So when Caligula, a child of the camp who liked to employ soldiers slant himself, said pick up the musculi, he probably meant huts, not seashells. Huh. And there's also an article from David Woods that makes the case that Caligula was referring to boats. In a piece from 2000 he wrote for Greece and Rome, Woods argues that, quote, in conclusion, Caligula did not order his soldiers to collect seashells for transport back to Rome as spoilers of the ocean. Rather, our main sources for this event are heirs to a hostile tradition, which misinterpreted Caligula's original instruction to assemble some captured enemy ships, to which he derisively referred to as conscious shells, for transport to Rome. So, Michael, 
we're left with this. Does history have a Caligula problem or does Caligula have a history problem? <laughs> I phase it that way because it is also time to ask, I think, does Matt Nagy have a Mitchell Trubisky problem or oh. does Mitchell Trubisky have a Matt Nagy problem? Wow, that that's fantastic. I, I like that leading because the, the way that Caligula is treated at the time by historians is very much colored by his enemies. So it's hard to tell what's real. Now, obviously, crazy some, you know what, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he, he was he was out there. But a lot of things in Roman history, when you're not popular with the Senate or, you know, the historians, a lot of things get sensationalized. So that's fantastic. And you mentioned Mary Beard, her book, uh, SPQR, A History of Ancient Rome is absolutely fantastic. But I like the way that you put that because in the off season, you know, I call them slumpy Mitch. I said that they would never make a serious run with them. I've called them mediocre Mitch recently. That might be too much praise. But at the same time, in the offseason, I was calling Matt Nagy great for being able to pull whatever performance he could out of Trubisky last season. This year, I'm starting to kind of regret the praise that I've heaped on to Nagy. And it's not like an anti-Bears thing. It's like, I love the Bears defense. I loved, I thought I loved Matt Nagy. Like, I like a lot of players on their team. I think they're a solid team. I just think their quarterbacks hold them back. But now I feel as if Matt Nagy is not doing a good job of letting Trubisky do what he does well when it comes to intermediate and downfield stuff. And Trubisky is not fantastic at those things. He doesn't have great accuracy with those things. He doesn't read the field entirely well. But I feel like Nagy did a much better job last year of scheming up those things and we had talked about it going into the lead up yep. into the playoff game than he is this year so i think it might be a little bit of both and i think Nagy's just getting a little too cute for himself you know what i mean yeah i, I think that's a great way to put it you and i and future guests of this show or one of your shows on the bleeding green radio network bryce rossler we had this discussion yesterday in the twitter dms about is Nagy doing enough to sort of develop Trubitsky, because mm. you've got to at some point throw the kid into the deep end and say, look, you either got to figure it out or you're not. And right. obviously the parallel that people always have is Jared Goff. He figured it out in year two. Yes, Sean McVay still holds the guy's hand, but you can see making some decisions and making some reads, at least yeah. in the post-snap phase where he's figured it out. With Trubitsky, it's like I called it similar to the Urban Meyer-Tim Tebow situation down in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> where Meyer was like, look, we just got to win games. And so if I, don't, if I have a quarterback that throws jump passes off of fake quarterback draws and his throwing mechanics, it's looking like a medieval trebuchet. If yeah. it still lets us win games, that's fine. I don't need to develop him or coach him up. I feel like Nagy's doing the same thing, but it might be holding Trubisky back in a sense because he doesn't need to sort of learn to develop those finer points position. Like when we crushed him last week for the pick he threw in the end of the game, because hmm. he was staring down the road. Well, yeah. if he can get away with doing that in Nagy's eyes, why does he need to do anything else? Yeah, and you mentioned Goff, and, and Goff is totally different. Everybody knows that I'm not the biggest Goff fan, but at the same time, going through his progressions and making throws to the intermediate and deep areas of the field is not Goff's weakness whatsoever. It's when things no. break down, he has to work out his, out his structure, but he does get his hand held a little before the snap. But the way in which Nagy's trying to do it with Trubisky right now is absurd. And if you have to do that, if you truly have to do that because you're so scared of what your quarterback is, you you have the wrong quarterback. I mean, right. that's, that's, that's just the fact. So it's one or the other, right? Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's interesting. We were talking about how when Sean McVay approaches the way he handles Jared Goff, he still gives him different stuff to run. He still challenges him. Yeah. Nagy's idea of scheming up Mitchell Trubisky is how many different ways can I run curl flat? 
Like, right. that's it. Like, that's yeah. what he does. That's what they come back to. And look, I wrote over a PFW that Matt Nagy probably graded Trubisky extremely well for this Denver game because he probably executed the game plan that he wanted. But that's the underlying problem, I think. This mm. is the game plan that they can run right now. And is it a problem with Trubisky? He can't do anything else. Or is it Nagy because he's holding him back? I don't know where to finally ultimately come down on that, but I think we need to at least have the discussion about how Matt Nagy is handling him. Well, according to some, they're they're restricting the offense because of the weather in Denver in September and the altitude, and it's impossible to throw there. It's an interesting theory. One will see how it plays out in Washington next week to see if it's the same. Right. But the, the fine folk at Pro Football Weekly, and I, and I love uh, our curse and, and all those guys, so I don't want to throw slander on them. But I did think that was a, a very interesting way of, of looking at that because, I mean, Denver is really fantastically successful in home openers. The weather is it's hot and the altitude yep. is bad. So if that had and, to play into Nagy's thinking, then, you know, here and, we are. Look. Matt Nagy instructed the Bears to collect some she- seashells from the Denver <laughs> sideline. Okay? That's yeah. what went down. Boom. So let's take a look around the NFL. Obviously, today, the whole reason that the show was created was to talk about the upcoming enemy opponent for the Eagles, which is going to be Matt Stafford. We'll be talking about him later. We're going to talk about some Carson Wentz as well. But let's take a look around the league at all of the injuries that have happened so far this le- this year at the position. I mean, Andrew Luck retires. We all know about that. You and Benjamin Solak did a great job of breaking that, that down on this show here when I was on vacation. Uh, Big Ben is done for the year. So now the Steelers are dealing with Mason Rudolph, just shipped off a first round pick from Minka Fitzpatrick. That's looking better and better by the day. Cause I didn't, I thought the Steelers going to miss the playoffs anyway. And now you're dealing with Mason Rudolph in there. Uh, Nick Foles. We talked about him, the fractured, broken collarbone, whatever it was, uh, clavicle, sorry, clavicle. Drew Brees is dealing with a thumb issue. That's going to keep him out. We're going to touch back that on that on the second. Sam Darnold has been kissing too many lady friends and uh, he's got the mono big time. And then you've got Trevor Simeon, whose ankle injury on, what was it, Monday night? Like Monday night. I had a flashback. I saw that. Yeah, I, I, I shattered my tibia, like ran on it after because adrenaline's just a beast and then walked on it. And then progressively started to crawl on it. And then like I tore all the ligaments on the end. Like it was it was it was a nice flashback there. So Simeon's out indefinitely. Yeah. Uh with Drew Brees, you told me that you had a similar injury when you played to your thumb on your throwing hand. Is that correct? Yep. I actually did. It was a, it's called sort of gatekeeper's thumb. And I'm holding up the uh the my thumb here and the scar for all the listeners on News Channel 8, all the viewers on News Channel 8. And what basically <laughs> happens is the ligament on the inside tears and it makes mm. your thumb unstable and so it can dislocate to the outside. How it happened to me, my junior year opening game of the season, our starting QB goes down. I'm in there. I'm throwing the playbook out the window. Like we the play that I got hurt on, we called a toss play to the right out of our jumbo package, our goal line package. But we had a single a little package for me because I could run and not throw. Mm. That if I felt like I could keep it, I would single signal to our X receiver, the one receiver in the formation, to crack block instead of just running off. Because usually our jumbo package receiver would just run off. But here I'm signaling him to crack. I yeah. would fake the toss and keep it around the end. Our head coach put that in. He's like, look, if you're in the game, we'll probably just let you run. I was basically <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky before Mitchell Trubisky, okay? You were the, the original wing team Mitch Trubisky. I, I love it. It me. It me. So I fake the toss on this play. I keep it and I 
I I just have one guy. We ran it like at the plus 25. I had one guy to beat. It was actually the other team's free safety who was my teammate in high school. He chops me down. I extend the ball and I literally land on it on like the one foot line. The ball's in my right hand. And as I landed, it popped the thumb. And that's oh. when it tore. Yeah. So I snuck it in for a touchdown the next play. But I played the rest of my junior year and senior year. I use play in quotes now with that injury because I could barely grip the ball, which is what Breeze is dealing with. Because you see it, he gets hit, tears that ligament. And what they had to do with me was they actually, I have an extra tendon in my wrist. If you take your thumb and your pinky finger, touch them together and look at the inside of your wrist, you might see a couple of tendons there. Mm-hmm. Right at the base of your base of your you know hand, yep. I had an extra tendon, so they took that out of my wrist, dropped it into my thumb, and fixed it. <laughs> yeah, so I played with that. I played with it again, using that word in quotes because it didn't play very well. It was really hard. I have small hands anyway, so QB hand size day would have been a brutal one for me. But without the ability to really use the thumb that way and grip, I couldn't. I was shot putting the ball. And so I understand why this is a minor injury. Sounds like a minor injury, just a thumb ligament, but it really impacts because it's again a ligament on the inside. That's where you get the strength to really close your thumb on the ball and grip it. And without the ability to do that, a that thumb can pop back open at any time, and b you don't have the strength in the thumb to grip the football. And that's why Breeze had to get this done. So two things: number yep. one, holding the ball very important in this league. It matters. Yeah. <laughs> Number two, did you get crap from your coach for trying to reach out for the goal line? Because I feel like Bill Belichick would have been very upset with you for exposing the ball to unnecessary risk as you're trying to go for a score. I did. And let me tell you, (laughs) I had to start the next week, okay? Mm. We had a little bit of a program moment. I remember that Monday practice. You know, I've got this thumb injury that I'm not telling anybody about, right? Because I want to, this is my chance to start. And our coach pulls me aside after we do the film session. He's like, look, you were dangling the ball out too much. So here's a football. You're going to have to carry this bad boy everywhere. (laughs) I want you to secure it all the time. I was literally like Darnell Jefferson walking to class. Here I am at this nerdy D3 school, this small Ivy. And people are like, what is wrong with you? But he didn't give the whole, like, if somebody knocks this out of your hands, you're going to be a dead man kind of thing that James yeah. Kahn gave him. But yeah, yeah, I got, I, got a lot of, I got a lot of stick for that, as our friend Mark Bullock would say across the pond. I got a lot of stick. <laughs> That's incredible. So that, that'll cover it for the injuries around the league and kind of explains the Drew Brees injury and why it's so serious. Some great Mitchell Trubisky talk. When we come back here on the QB Sco Show 33, we're going to talk about some Carson Wentz heroics, and we're going to talk about some Matt Stafford for the Detroit Lions. That's coming up next here on the QBSCO Show. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We are back here on the QB Sco Show, episode 33, brought to you by SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. Michael Kist here with QB One of My Heart, Mark Schofield. Mark, did you see Sunday Night Football and Carson Wentz's up and down performance? Because the first half was 
abysmal. Obviously, the Eagles dealing with some major contributors. Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson were ruled out for the game early uh, into the first quarter. Also, Dallas Goddard meant that they had to throw out the entire section of, of 12 personnel and all their play action. They wanted to work off of that. Dealing with new chemistry between Wentz and Collins had been missing for a year before that. Dealing with J.J. Ortega-Whiteside trying to learn things and get on the same page with Wentz. But in the end... Comes up with some heroics in the second half. Aguilar has the drop. Ertz is slightly short of the stick. Some different things happen. That crazy fourth and 14 prayer that Aguilar comes down with. Just a wild mess of a game that the Eagles still somehow with all of their injuries found themselves in. What did you think of that game? And do we really have any firm takeaways from what went on? I think if you were to sit an Eagles fan down before that game kicked off and say, look, you're going to lose Jeffrey, you're going to lose DJ, you're going to lose Goddard, you're not going to be able to run your offense, Wentz is going to throw some bad picks, but you're going to have a chance to win this game. People would probably take that at a heartbeat because look, yeah. that's a bad situation. And like you said, when you go into a game with a game plan that we're, we're going to run two tight end stuff, we're going to have a lot of stuff based off of that package, play action and elsewhere, and you have to scrap that before kickoff, that's tough. Mm. When you're now having to get J-Jaw lined up, because he doesn't know where he's supposed to align before plays. That's tough. Yes, the first half was bad. I, I didn't watch this game live. I was out at Game of Thrones, the live concert experience, out with my dad. It was a fantastic show. Yeah. If you get a chance, check it out. But when I watched the film, yes, the first half was bad. But the second half, Carson Wentz did Carson Wentz things, and he put them in a chance to win this game. And I thought your, your our boy, your buddy, your colleague, Benjamin Solak, wrote an absolutely beautiful, beautiful piece about Carson Wentz this week over at Bleeding Green Nation. It's one of those pieces that you read it, and you're blown away with how good it's done, and you're insanely jealous of the ability of the writer to put this into words. And Solak knocked that out of the park because yeah. Wentz and his heroics make him Carson Wentz. And I think we're at the point now where we want to see him protect himself. You want to see him healthy. You want to see him take care of his body. But if you take that out of him, if you make him be more conservative, do you take away what makes Carson Wentz Carson Wentz? Mm. And I think at some point we might just have to just roll with it and say, look, the guy's going to expose himself. No whistle has been blown. No play is dead. I still have a chance. I will still fight until I can't fight anymore, until there's no ability left in my body to fight. And that's what we saw from him on in this game against Atlanta. That's what we saw from him dating back to his days at NDSU. I remember sitting down with Matt Waldman. We did an RSP film room on Wentz in his junior year national championship game against Illinois State, and he had a fumble on a run where he scrambled, lowered his shoulder, tried to run a guy over. He fumbled. They got it back. And I remember Matt and I thinking, that was amazing. Don't ever do it again. But here we are into Wentz's NFL career. He's doing the same type of stuff because he refuses to give up on a single play. He will fight for that inch. This is who he is. And maybe it means that he's going to get banged up again. Maybe it means that he goes down a luck Cam Newton type path. But do we want to really change who Carson Wentz is? That's that's interesting. And, and I was looking at two throws from, from this game, really just one from Matt Ryan, where the Eagles brought a blitz. And I believe it was an overthrow to Justin Hardy, if I'm not, not mistaken. But yeah. Matt, Matt Ryan knows he's going to get pressure, knows he has to get this thing out on a longer developing route. And you see him, even though there's someone like not like right in his ribcage, he fades off this thing and overthrows it. And my point has been Carson Wentz isn't fading off this thing. Do you love it? Yes or no? Or do you want do you want him to step into that, take the shot, and be that gritty football player and, and, and all that stuff like in the first quarter and do that? Maybe not all the time. But at the same time, don't criticize him for missing the throw if he does fade off that and miss. In the fourth quarter, though, 
what do you want him to do? You want him to put his body on a line. You want him to John Elway helicopter himself to a win. I mean, he did that on the one where he nearly got dragged down and the knee was almost down and everything like that. And he's escaping the rush and and all that stuff. So it, it's a very fine line for him to walk, one that I'm not sure he'll ever walk you know, completely perfect to absolutely protect himself. But like you said, that's just kind of who he is. That is just who he is. And it is such a fine line because how do you as an athlete – look, you're, you were an athlete. I was an athlete. Allegedly, gentle <laughs> listeners, listen to the show or athletes, whether whatever sport you're in, how do you train your your mind and your body to dial it back at some instances and then go full throat at the other? It's mm. insanely hard to do. How do you sort of duck away from one throw in the first quarter, but then really lean in? You're going to do it the same way either way. So either you're the guy that fades away or the guy that leans in. Like golf, golf fades away. Golf fades away all the time. Everything. All the time. And <laughs> maybe that is the, the way to play it. Maybe not. But let me ask you this. In this game of football, this game that we've been around for decades, which guy commands the respect of his teammates? The guy that fades away or the guy that's going to lead into that shot? Such a tough, tough line. It is. Double-edged it's sword. so hard. It's <laughs> why this position, yes, it's hard to evaluate. It is so gosh darn hard to play because there's so much that goes into it. And this little fine line between stepping into a throw and fading away a throw what might mean the difference in how the fans view you, how your coaches view you, how your teammates view you, and how successful you're going to be both in the short and in the long term. And that's yeah. just one little tiny example. Yeah. And I mean, you also get viewed if your defense gives up a 54-yard touchdown on fourth down yeah. and you end up not winning the game because a guy drops it, guy or runs short of the sticks. Matt now, now all of a sudden is is wondering if you're Matt Stafford and you're going to yeah. waste your career. I mean, that's yeah. that's the articles going around right now. And look, I mean, maybe there's be some more merit to that as the season goes on, but I don't see it right now. And let's kind of move on to Matt Stafford since we have this upcoming week three game for the Eagles in a very important game for the Eagles now dealing with, you know, less weapons and whatnot. But there there's an interesting link between Doug Peterson and new Lions offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel. Peterson spent four seasons backing up Brett Favre in Green Bay from 2001 to 2004. During that time, Bevel was either the assistant quarterbacks coach or the quarterbacks coach. He switched roles there after a couple of years. And Mark, I was curious on your thoughts on him because Stafford, over the last three years, let's break this down with intended air yards. And so the average distance in which Stafford's throws traveled in the air on the way to the target. Between 2016 to 2018, Stafford's average intended air yards are anywhere from seven to eight yards. That's firmly in the bottom half of the league for each year. In 2019, through the first two weeks, Stafford's intended air yards are 10.9. So let's call it 11 third highest in the league. He currently leads the league in next-gen stats air yards to the sticks, which measures how close or behind or ahead of the sticks you're throwing, throwing an average of 2.1 yards past the marker. Next-gen has been tracking the stats since 2016, and if that trend holds, it would be the first year where he was in the black on air yards to the sticks. Stafford has a big arm. Stafford is a streaky passer, but when he is on his game, he is very, very good, and he can hurt you to the intermediate and deep areas to the field. Uh, what do you think about our boy Stafford here coming into this Week 3 matchup? You know, I'm going to tell a quick little story again, uh, Uncle Mark, story time here about my college days. And I remember being at a house party. I was dating this girl who lived in this house, and she had a really good friend. And they threw a house party, and this guy tried to hit on her friend, and he used this pickup line on her. You're ugly, but you intrigue me. <laughs> And that line floored me. And gentle listeners, it actually worked. I'm not saying go out and try it, but it worked. 
That's kind of the feel I get watching this Lions offense. At times, it's ugly. At times, the route designs and concepts are boring. Yeah. But then they'll bust out some stuff that's really impressive. Like, we've talked about the Yankee concept a lot. Deep post, sort of the over route underneath it. They used two different variants of that Yankee concept so far this season. Last uh, week, one against Arizona, second quarter, second and six at the 12-34 mark. They go Yankee. But they have Danny Amendola run that leak where he mm. comes from across the formation, runs a shallow, and then breaks up vertically. And he's wide open. Yeah, 47 yards for the touchdown. He he was wide open. Uncovered. And then last week against the Chargers, they had a Yankee variant where it's sort of that Miami route, the Shanahan calls it, where that underneath one stops in the middle of the field and then pivots back away. So everybody's thinking, oh, it's Yankee. You get the cut call coming where, you know, the cornerback now gets to the middle of the field. The safety crashes down thinking he's going to take it away. And then you just run away from everybody. And yeah. so Bevo has gotten that sort of reputation as maybe the offenses aren't great. Obviously, at had the play call to throw it at the end of Super Bowl 49. But some of the stuff they're doing is pretty intriguing. And like you said, you just ran through excellently the, the numbers and the air yards it's slightly more aggressive with some of these concepts that they're calling than the lines have been in the past. And, and what I saw from their film, maybe we just talked about some scheme stuff. They were working a lot of double tight wide receivers or a lot of two by two sets. They'll do yeah. a lot of mirrored concepts where both, yeah. both, you know, two route combinations on either side are exactly the same. Uh, with double tights, they like to work high low. So they'll work smash and they'll work other concepts like that where they give them an easy high and low read where you're keying on a defender to make life easy on Stafford and Stafford is capable of pushing the ball down the field vertically to the sidelines. Perfectly capable of that. He's, he's got plenty of arm. Uh, what did you see from their scheme that you liked? I mean, one that really stood out to me that I put on the timeline was they had TJ Hawkinson as uh, as an H-back, and they sent him on a deep crosser. It looked like he was going to block at first. Like, I just thought that was a brilliant design, too. So they're really – like, I've, I've kind of – knock the the lions for being boring and i even did it with you guys in, in in the dm but like as i start to watch this thing i start to see some wrinkles that i really like first of all i think hawkinson's gonna be a problem for teams not just the eagles this week yeah. but like down the line because that play you mentioned he was running away from a corner on that play it wasn't mm -hmm. like he was matched up against a linebacker he's running away from an nfl cornerback and yes you could say arizona's corners maybe aren't great but i don't care hmm. hawkinson is going to be a problem they move him all over the place you know, they have him as an inline guy. They have him as an H-back. They have him in the slot. They'll Y-ISO with him as well, sometimes inline, sometimes out. They will do some vertical stuff. One of the things I love what they did with Hawkinson is, A, you can tell there's a great relationship between him and Stafford. So what they will do is they'll go trips Y-ISO. So he's the only receiver on the left in line, run a simple curl or Y option with him, but then they'll give Stafford a nice vertical concept to the other side. So if yeah. you get numbers, he'll throw it to the vertical concept of the trips. But if he likes the one-on-one -on -one matchup, say you're at man and you've got a linebacker or a strong safety in Hawkinson, he'll then come back. So if it's zone, he's got an easy throw to the verticals on the trips. If it's man and he likes the matchup, he'll throw a Hawkinson on a Y option. They're doing some stuff to get their players in position to be successful. The mirrored stuff, like you mentioned, Mike, it's a nice, easy read for the quarterback. Quarterback. He sees, you know, single high coverage. He reads it to one side, middle of the field open. He might read it to the other. If it's short side of the field, he just might take best matchup. It makes it easy on the quarterback. These guys, these offensive coordinators, that's what they need to do. Make life easier for your QBs. Bevel's been doing a really good job of that through two weeks. And they'll work speed outs from reduced splits against off coverage yeah. all day, especially if you bring a blitz. And Jimmy Schwartz brought a lot of blitzes last week. We'll see if he does it this week. But Stafford, for as, for as much as we talked about the air yards and pushing it downfield – 
Stafford sees that blitz coming. He's getting it out, and he has no yeah. issue with keeping the offense on, on schedule. So I was impressed by that as well. We're, I'm seeing more and more as I watch teams around the league, if they see – you know, uncapped defenders, if they see off coverage, forget what's called. Like, look at, yeah. you know, Aaron Rodgers on right. opening night. Like, yeah. if he sees off coverage, I don't care if you've got toss outside zone call. He's just going to, like, awkwardly draw from center and throw it out to that guy. That and far RPO. Thing. Yeah, that far <laughs> RPO. It, yeah. the, the You know, a lot of teams are doing it. The Lions are certainly do that where if, if they see A, off coverage, they're just going to throw speed out to that guy. It's just a simple side adjustment. Or yeah. if they see, like you said, a blitz, he's just going to take what they give you because this game doesn't have to be hard. If the defense is going to give you a five yard out on first and 10, make it second and five or better. Why like bang your head against the wall and either run the play that's called to try to force something. Take what they give you. What do you think of Stafford overall? Because I mentioned before that he's a streaky, streaky passer that is very, very good when he hits his heights because I really do like his game. And I think he's kind of been hidden. Like at at one point, he might have been slightly overrated. I think he's firmly underrated now because Detroit just hasn't been able to put a winner around him. I don't think it's necessarily his fault. I know last year he was dealing with a really bad back injury. We're familiar here in Philadelphia with that and his game kind of took a hit because of that. But overall, like this dude is perfectly capable from week to week from either being like below average to average to like top five performance of the week type guy. Yeah, I mean, I think from a trait-based perspective, or if you want to look at him at sort of his highs, he's mm. a guy that you could see getting into that elite category of like top five quarterbacks in the league. From a trait basis, look, the arm is great. Some of the stuff he does processing wide is pretty good. He's athletic enough to extend plays. You can move him around. So the, some can, of the stuff there, he throws I really a lot like. of different platforms. A lot of di- really, really arm well. angles. Just, yeah, I mean, he's kind of like Mahomes-ish in a sense yeah. before Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. But then you do get some lows. You get some strange decisions. You get some strange reads. And obviously, look, he takes a lot of hits when he's battling injuries. It obviously doesn't perform as well as he can. But the potential is there for him to be one of those top quarterbacks. But again, we're talking about a guy that's been in the league for a long time. Is he ever going to firmly establish himself as one of those guys? That remains to be seen. So let's take a let's take a look at the uh, the line here. I'm going to go to a betting website. No free ads. We have sponsorship spots open. Sponsors, if you're listening, come come spend some money and get your business out of those DMs. <laughs> thousands of listeners sliding those DMs, baby. Right now, the line is really disrespectful to the Lions, considering what the Eagles have going on on offense. The over under is 45, and the Eagles are six point favorites. So it's something like 25. To nineteen twenty six to like like around that type of area, uh, do you do you think that the Eagles are going to have that offensive firepower to hit the over and cover as well? Because the more I start to watch Detroit, and the more I I really think about what the Eagles might have to look like offensively. Now they have a whole week to game plan this, but they're banged up too. I don't know, man. It's tough. What do you think? Six is kind of a big number given yeah. the situation. I mean, I think Philadelphia wins this game. I mean, this game is at home, so. You know, there's, you get that going for you, which is nice. Six is kind of a big number given the situation. I mean, what's the status on guys like DJX, on guys like Jeffrey? Are they going to go? They're out. They're they're, they're, they're out? probably out for both Sunday and they have a quick turnaround with the Packers on Thursday. That's why the Eagles Ooh. changed their practice to a walkthrough on Wednesday. The Packers did the same thing. And just to, just to throw this out there, we are recording on a Thursday. So if this is old news, I'm not sure exactly when I'm dropping this. But yeah, it's looking like DJX is out. Goddard's probably out too. They activated Alex Ellis, stud from the That's preseason. A good Jeffrey and Deshaun probably missed Sunday, along with Goddard, and then Goddard might be the only one back Thursday. They're really dealing yeah. with some some issues. Yeah, I mean, I think and the Philly run game hasn't been good either. The run game yeah. has been bad. So I think Philly finds a way to win an ugly game. 
Like yeah. that's kind of where I feel like a twenty to seventeen kind of game. Is it like the Chargers game where the Lions was like thirteen to ten and the Chargers missed two field goals and like yeah. this like the most they fumble they have two touchdowns called back. And in that same drive, they end up fumbling at the goal line. It was the most charging, charging that ever charger to charger. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think we're gonna see the Lions do something similar. Okay. All what right. about you? Oh man, I'm still I'm still working through still the working prep. through it. If this drops later, then you'll hear my prediction on, on the Kist and Solak show when they break it down. But I think you're right at the very least. I think it's gonna be under, and I think it's gonna be yeah. an ugly close game i wouldn't touch six it was at seven yesterday when i was talking with the guys from pride of detroit i was like no way i'm touching that line you gotta be yeah. crazy yeah what, let me ask you this yeah patriots by 23 and a half are you touching that one wow simeon's out that's right? a huge number though yeah and i'm seeing i'm also seeing 22 and a half so anywhere from 22 and a half to 20 does it matter a point at that yeah. <laughs> My Miami played them close-ish, and then it kind of got to like that Alabama roll tide feel yeah. in the second half. So yeah. it could be close and some things. Could, oh, man. I, I would take the Patriots. I, I, I would say they're going to cover. Yeah. We got two 20-plus spreads this week because Dallas yeah. is like 20 over Dallas Miami. Dallas got a, Miami. What are they doing? <sighs> Who well, knows? We know. We know we exactly know. what they're doing. Yeah. Two a better pad out or he better come out. How about that? <laughs> What if he stays in school? All right, Mark, any last thoughts before we get out of here? You just want to say goodbye to the gentle listeners. Goodbye, gentle listeners. (laughs) It's going to do it. For the QB Sco Show, make sure you're subscribed. Put in Bleeding Green Nation any podcast app. Tell it to your friends and it'll pop up for them. Give us five stars. Leave some reviews if you enjoyed the content here. Keep an eye out for all the other shows dropping into your feed. We've got a ton of content of all types of flavors hitting the feeds this week and throughout the entire season. we got you covered here from every angle. And we appreciate you tuning in. And we'll catch you next time. G-N!